from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for episode 8 of Jersey Jump Shot. We're talking college hoops in the Garden State. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Wrapping up a fun week of college basketball in New Jersey and looking forward to a big week for our schools here in the Garden State. A nice, successful week for, for the teams around New Jersey. Seen Hall, they split the win over Xavier, a loss at Villanova. Mammoth, they go one and two. They lose to Marist and Iona with a win at Manhattan, sandwiched in between. Princeton, no problem against Dartmouth. St. Peter's loses to Ryder. But the big story as we start the show, the team in red, only fitting here on Valentine's Day, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights surging, building that tournament resume with a home win against Ohio State. Then they go on the road and win at Wisconsin. Yes, Rutgers winning on the road against a ranked opponent. Who are these Scarlet Knights, Chris? It's incredible, Ryan. And listen, I mean, we all looked at this portion of the schedule, this February gauntlet, and said that this was the this was the stretch that really could essentially end Rutgers season if it didn't play well. It's playing some of the best teams in the Big Ten, but it also offered opportunities to rebuild that NCAA tournament resume. And instead of ending Rutgers season, it's building it back up again. The Scarlet Knights are surging. They've beaten Michigan State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, three ranked opponents consecutively for the first time in program history. They're now 81 in the net rankings. Um, they're just playing their best basketball at the right time. Geo Baker's playing great. Ron Harper's doing what he does. Cliff Amore, Cliff Amore is playing really well. Obviously, Paul Mulcahy has just been outstanding. Caleb McConnell defensively has been superb. Um, listen, I mean, this team still, you know, has some work to do, but man, I mean, this – they're playing the they're doing exactly what they needed to do at this point in the schedule. And um, listen, they just have to, you know, try and keep it going. But certainly uh, quite a resurgence for the Scarlet Knights. I thought Jerry put it perfectly in his column yesterday. You know, this isn't a transformation. This isn't a big change. This is the team that is kind of realizing its potential. So I thought that, you know, that's kind of exactly what it is. This is why Steve Peichel has said all along that, you know, th- he believes so much in this team and why he thinks it could be his best one. And they're certainly showing it right now. Right. We have to, you know, you have to take the long view in college basketball. And that's something that is good to remind fans, media too, at times, a lot of media, um, you know, counted this team out, not me, but uh, you do have to take the long view. This isn't college football season where like one week is can be catastrophic toward your postseason hopes, one game. It's a long season. And, you know, Rutgers may be in a little bit of an extreme example, but like look at Memphis right now. You know, Memphis was left for dead, too, and they're surging, and they're even ahead of Rutgers on the curve as far as NCAA tournament considerations. So uh, these things happen. This is not totally unusual. It's just things change. Players develop. Uh, injuries happen. Teams gel. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a four-plus-month season with 30-plus games. And so this is, what, this is what's happening with Rutgers. And I want to just dive into this a little bit. Um, Three things I think have happened with Rutgers that have resulted in them turning a corner here. One is, as as uh, Chris mentioned, Paul Mulcahy has really come into his own as a playmaking point guard. And look, he needed he needed the elbow room. the 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 players who transferred out of Rutgers basketball last year were they were cramping Paul's style. They were crowding him. They weren't they weren't there was too much dribbling, not enough team movement. Paul needed the freedom to run the team, and it it doesn't just happen overnight. Like it, 
it takes time for him to settle into that role as the guy running the team. And so that's what's really happened. So look at look at Rutgers' shooting numbers. I'm going to call up their Big Ten statistics, okay? So first of all, Paul is averaging, this is in Big Ten action, 6.4 assists per game. That's a whopping uh, 1.2 assists more than the next closest player. That's an all-conference statistic. The player who leads the league in assists, especially by that margin, usually winds up making all-conference. Let's look at the team stats. Uh, Rutgers, their free throw percentage is 750. That's fourth in the Big Ten. That is a quantum leap. This team has been 650 and under the past several years. Now, that, that doesn't have a whole lot to do with Paul, but that's just a team improving the way it shoots. But let's look at the field goal numbers. Rutgers is shooting 445 from the field in Big Ten games. That's fifth in the league, okay? From three-point range, Rutgers is shooting 38.5%. That's third in the league. This is uncharted waters for Rutgers offense. Look, it's a given that Steve Peichel's teams are going to play hard defensively, but they are shooting better because the ball's moving better, and Mulcahy is drawing and dishing to these guys in spots where they get high-percentage, somewhat open looks and they're making them. That's a huge difference, okay? Defensively, Rutgers is solid like they've always been. You mentioned Caleb McConnell, Chris. He's playing terrific defense. Rutgers historically, under Steve Peichel, has excelled against teams that have one guy, like a guy, who they go to constantly over and over. This past week, Rutgers beat two teams with a guy, and the guy was Eric Liddell for, for Ohio State, who it might be the national player of the year, uh, certainly a candidate for that. And a forward, and then against Wisconsin, Johnny Davis, who was the national player of the year leader for the first third of the season. And, and Kayla McConnell just erased the guy, held him to 10 points. And so when you have a defender like that, and when you have a defense that schemes against taking away one guy, it's a big advantage against teams that play like that. So, yeah, it's surprising Rutgers won those games. But when you look at it, and not really. I mean, this is where Rutgers is at right now. And I want to say, Kayla McConnell, how can he not be the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten? I know there's six games, six, seven games left to play. Okay. But how can he not be the defensive player of the year leader in the Big Ten right now? And the, the thing with Rutgers is you wonder is, does the Big Ten respect Rutgers? I mean, Paul, Paul Mulcahy has the, uh, one of the great weeks ever for a Rutgers point guard in modern program history, and he doesn't win player of the week in the Big Ten. They routinely give co-player of the week. They didn't do it last week. So, you know, this feeds, fuels the perception that the Big Ten treats Rutgers like a second-class citizen, and I, I get that feeling sometimes too. So, you know, will will Kayla McConnell, now the, the defensive player of the year, there's two sets of postseason awards, okay? One is given by the media, and one's given by the coaches, but the defensive player of the year is only decided by the coaches. So we'll see. There's games left to play, but Kayla McConnell has to be a serious contender in this conversation. And if he's not, then you got to wonder, man, what is up with the Big Ten and Rutgers? I mean, come on. I know it's they're a geographical outlier. They're a newbie to the league. But come on. you got to respect the job they've done on the basketball court. They become a legitimate you know, contending member of the league these past few years. So there's a lot going on there. But the long view, Rutgers is coming around, and they're going to be a team to be reckoned with this last month. And I think, too, maybe within the locker room, the players keep saying, you know, keep ignoring us. We don't need the recognition. We don't need the awards. We'll uh, we'll keep taking care of business. And here we are, middle of February. 
the end of the regular season inside, they needed some work, as we had been been saying on this show, to, to make sure that they can get into the tournament and they're doing what they need to do to get that done. Steve, when you're watching this team, I mean, just as when a Rutgers fan sees how they're playing, this has to be a very exciting time to see them winning these big games when they need them most. Well, I think when you look back to, you know, the the returning to the NCAA tournament and, and, and advancing and the incredible excitement that that brought to the program, fast forward to this season, and you have the potential for that and so much more right now with what you've seen over the last couple of weeks. And I think that is what really is driving Rutgers fans right now is this thought that, you know, yeah, the the Big Ten tournament, it's going to be really interesting for us this year. And NCAA tournament, who knows? You know, I mean, a lot of it depends on your draw. We know that. But, you know, the, the potential is there. And I think, you know, for the first time in, you know, 30, 40 years, you know, Rutgers fans can really see kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that is what what the most incredible thing is, is, is what this has done to the Rutgers fan base right now. And we've been saying it, Chris said it at the top of the show, we've been saying it the last few weeks, but this murderer's row schedule that they had in February, uh, it's certainly a challenge. It certainly could be intimidating on paper, but it presents opportunity. And Rutgers is making the most of their opportunity right now, and they have more opportunity coming up at home against Illinois and then at Purdue, Purdue two highly touted teams. In so this, the is, this, is the, this is the hardest week on their schedule. Yes. This is the hardest week. Illinois and Purdue are the two best teams in the league, and they have Illinois already crushed Rutgers, and that was a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. But and, and I think Rutgers will play much better at home against them. And, you know, Purdue's going to be out for revenge after Rutgers beat them in December. This is the hardest week on Rutgers' schedule. If they Not go 1-1 one one this week – yeah, they'll be in great shape if they go one and one. If they go two and zero, they're in the NCAA tournament. Tough week for the Scarlet Knights, but we'll see how they navigate it. They've had a tough couple of weeks the past few weeks, and and look what they've done to help boost their resume. As for Seton Hall, Jerry, they split this week. Win at home against Xavier, a loss at Villanova. They have UConn coming up on Wednesday, and then home against DePaul on Saturday for the Pirates. So Seton Hall's in very good shape, and I want to address something about the net. Because I'm getting a lot of questions uh, about the net. So I'm going to read you the, the resumes of these teams. It, that Seton Hall's is Seton Hall is uh they're f- four and six versus quad one, seven and seven versus quads one and two, and they're four and four on the road. Their net is 34 today. Uh Rutgers is five and three versus quad one, seven and six versus quads one and two, a little better than Seton Hall there. Three and seven on the road, not very good there. Uh, you know, better than they've been. Their net is 81. So with roughly comparable top-line metrics, and their records, their overall records are about the same. You know, Rutgers is 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 nine and five in their league, and uh and Seton Hall is six and seven in their league. So why are the nets so different? And the answer is because Seton Hall did much better job scheduling and did a much better job in the games they played against the lower end competition. Okay. So Rutgers scheduled six opponents that were that are plus 300 in the net. That is an anchor on their net. They lost one of those games at home to Lafayette. That is an anchor on their net. They barely won one of those games at home against the Lehigh. That's an anchor on their net. 
Okay, whereas Seton Hall only scheduled uh, two games against 300-plus opponents. They won both of those by a lot. Seton Hall's other guarantee games were against Yale and Wagner, and Seton Hall won both of those games by a lot. Those are two really good teams. Wagner's one of the hottest teams in the country. So, And then Seton Hall played in an exempt tournament where they faced Ohio State and Cal, two high majors, and Rutgers did not play in one of those tournaments. So the schedule, Kevin Willard has figured out how to game the schedule, how to game the net. And it's not a mystery. I mean, coaches have figured this out. The net's been around a couple of years. Kevin Willard has maximized Seton Hall's schedule against the net. Rutgers has not done that. And when you couple that with losing one of those games, that is why you have a disparity of almost 50 places in their net. Now, is that right? Should the net be working that way? I mean, we can we can have that argument, I guess. Philosophically, it's weird but how the net works. But the coaches, everybody's well aware of how it works, and adjusting to it is part of leading a program. So Willard deserves some credit for that. The other thing Willard deserves some credit for is – is adjusting to the loss of Bryce Aiken. So I want I want to get into that because you know Bryce Aiken has missed seven games. You know imagine taking Ron Harper away from Rutgers for seven games. Bryce Aiken is their best player. Yet they've gone four and three in that stretch. And the game against Villanova on Saturday, a six point loss at the Wells Fargo Center, was I thought the first time in this stretch that not having Bryce Aiken was the difference between a win and a loss. For Seton Hall, because in the last minute of the game, it was a place where Aiken excels. The game was tied, you know, last minute and a half. Game is tied against Villanova, and Seton Hall couldn't execute the plays they needed to execute on the offensive end. Villanova, to their credit, you know, made a really nice uh, play to get a layup and then got two offensive rebounds that helped close it out. But that's where Seton Hall missed Aiken. I want to read to you the quotes. Uh, I have two quotes I've gotten recently about Aiken and his concussion. And people have to understand, it's not a mystery. It's not a scandal. Bryce Aiken has a brain injury, and he's got to come back when he's ready, okay? This is his second one in a year. This is from from Miles Kale. Bryce is taking his time with his concussion. We can't rush him with that. So we're letting him take his time. Day by day, he's getting better. I don't know when he's going to be back, but he's getting better day by day. This is this next quote is from Chris Javons, the St. Patrick School coach, who coached, who coached uh, Bryce Aiken in high school, and he remains a close, has close ties with Seton Hall's program. You want to err on the side of caution. He's got to take the time he needs. Absolutely, he'll be back this year. His teammates are galvanized in supporting him, and I think that will help him when he comes back. Look, Bryce Aiken's got to come back when Bryce Aiken's head is ready, when he feels like his head is ready. And until then, Seton Hall's got to tread water. He's going to come back. We don't know when. It's going to take him some time to adjust. He has been working out cardio physically. It's going to take him some time to adjust, though, when he comes back. It all adds up to this. Seton Hall has played almost no games this year with their full rotation, okay? When they do get this rotation, and they will get it barring another injury, when they do get this rotation together, they're going to be very, very dangerous. But they have to get to that point. So, like, winning against Xavier, a ranked team at home, was helping them get to that point. Um, losing at Villanova, you know, by six didn't hurt them. They actually moved up a spot in the net, okay? So th- this week is another week that can help them get to that point. They're at UConn, 
which probably will be ranked or close to it. There will certainly be a top 20 net team. And then they're home against a DePaul team that's playing better. That's a game they have to win. That's a potential net trap. So Seton Hall is treading water and doing what they have to do. And I credit everyone involved here for sort of patching this together while they wait for Bryce Aiken to return. Absolutely. And, and like you said, it's a brain injury. And, and, you know, fans might wonder why someone has a concussion and they're back a game later. Whereas in this situation, it's been several games. Every injury is different. So, of course, you want to make sure that he's healthy before he comes back. And like Jerry said, he's not just going to hit the floor and play 30 minutes. It's going to be kind of getting his game legs back getting back into the flow of basketball. You can do all the cardio you want. You need to be in game shape. And that's going to take a game or two for him to, to get back to that when that does happen. I, I just wanted to circle back to the net thing, and, and I was going to get back into that in a minute. But, I mean, that is absolutely the way the net has to work. All right? You have to reward teams for scheduling up. Otherwise, you're saying to mid-majors and teams like that, you have no chance. You, you have to schedule reward teams for scheduling up. That's a conscious decision Rutgers has made. You know, for whatever reason, Steve Peichel thinks it's important to just get wins, not quality wins. But, you know, the NCAA is absolutely on target with the way they do the net in terms of the non-conference scheduling. You have to do that for mid-majors. All right, that's fair. That's a fair point. I think that a lot of people would totally agree. And I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I hear all sides of it. But, yeah, Steve, I mean, you're, you're right. you got to look at the totality of the schedule. And, again, it's just, it's just the way this sport, unique sport works because you have 358 Division One teams at all different levels scheduling all different kinds of ways. No, I just, again, I, I, just, think, I just think sometimes the, the mid-majors and, and the, the teams like that kind of get lost in this whole, whole debate. And um, listen, I understand when, when you're going through the meat grinder of a big 10 schedule, it's tough to say, yeah, you know what? We're going to also have a crazy non-conference schedule. I get it. But you know, there has to be some kind of a middle ground there. And I think non-conference schedule is a good way to even the playing field for a lot of teams. All right. Fair enough. Absolutely. I mean, here we are in, in crunch time. Some of these bubble teams desperate for wins. And, you know, like Jerry said, it's the entire season that that the committee looks at. And even those games in November against some of the cupcakes that might be on the schedule, those are important. And that's certainly what we're learning right now with Rutgers. As for our mid-majors, well, we won't talk about Princeton. They won by 45 over Dartmouth. Uh, St. Peter's a loss to Ryder and Monmouth. They lose to Marist. They get blown out by Marist again. Maybe should they, they should just stop playing Marist, I think. Uh, it's a sport of matchups. It's, it's, it's kryptonite for them, apparently. But they win at Manhattan and then that loss at Iona. So, Steve, uh, another week in the MAC with, with some interesting results. Well, right now for Monmouth, it's all about Shavar Reynolds and getting Shavar Reynolds healthy and back on the court and in some kind of a semblance of the player that he was early in the year. Right now, Monmouth is one and two without Shavar. They're one and three if you count the Maris game where he did not play in the second half. Um, you know, he's, he's nursing a, a, a shoulder injury. It popped out in the Marist game in the first half. They had to sit him. Um, you know, the, the Listen, I, I am sure if they went to Shavar and said, hey, do you want to play? Do you want to play in that Iona game over the weekend? Of course he wants to play, but they're they're going to have to rest him. They need him healthy in March. That is the only way Monmouth can survive now. You know, you, you see it, teams, without Shavar, they are putting all their focus on George Pappas, and it is making things very difficult for him. Patino... I'm telling you, every time Pappas moved, he had a guy in his face, off screens, anything. If he tried to drive, there were hands everywhere. So um, 
listen, it, it, it's going to be about getting, getting Shavar back on the court. Um, Mammoth though has three home games come up, coming up now. And uh, this is a chance for them to really make some, Hey, if they, if they can take care of business at home, you know, they, they can be okay. The, the key right now is getting one of the top five seeds where you get a first round by in the Mac tournament. They're sitting fourth right now. They're a game and a half behind Siena and St. Peter's and they play them coming up. So um, they, they're still in decent shape. Uh, we'll just have to see how it goes now. I mean, St. Peter's, you know, they had a good win last week. I mean, they they lost last week, but they have some big games coming up, and uh, they're going to have some some real chances to make some hay and maybe make but, a run. But Steve, you said the keys at top five, and certainly the buy is important. But don't you think it for someone with Mamet's firepower, the keys really top three because you know you you want to be opposite the bracket of Iona, which most likely is going to finish first. I would say the same for St. Peter's. I think two and three are the sweet spot for those teams. Here, here's what I would say. If 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 Mammoth can get Shavar back and get him going, I think top three could be a goal. I would also caution this: you are going to have to beat Iona at some point in that tournament. Okay, now if you're if you're thinking, mm, I don't know, we, we we need to worry about when we're gonna when we're gonna play them. You're probably not gonna beat them at any point. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking, listen, your Mammoth's attitude has to be. We'll play them in the semis, quarters. We'll play them in an alley. We don't care. And you listen, yeah, it'd be nice to get to the finals and play them. But if you have to play them in the semifinals, you know what? I'd rather do it with a healthy Shavar Reynolds than have uh, no Shavar Reynolds and play them in, in the finals. So. Of course, and it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I agree. But you, it also there's a lot of exposure in that final game for, for a program to get to that championship. There's a ton of exposure and attention that they normally wouldn't get. So, like, that I think is important as well. But you're right. We'll see how it plays out. I want to mention the Ivy League, okay, Princeton. Uh, I want to look at the Ivy League standings. There's something important here to point out regarding Princeton. I'm calling up the standings. Uh, so, Yale, Penn, and Princeton are 1, 2, 3, uh, all bunched up there at 7, 2, 8, and 2, 8, and 1. Cornell is fourth at 5, and 5. Okay, the top four teams make the Ivy League tournament. This is notable because Harvard is the host. Harvard, which was supposed to contend for the title, is three and six. They're in sixth place. They're a game and a half out of fourth place, which is Cornell right now, which is playing well under former Princeton assistant and Princeton star uh, Brian Earl. So if Harvard does not make the, the tournament, there's no home court at that advantage at that tournament, which I think is a big deal. So keep an eye on that when you're talking about Princeton, who is, again, having a really good season, and the Ivy League is good at the top. Absolutely. The Tigers, they have Brown coming up on Friday and Yale on Saturday. So an opportunity there against a good Yale team as well for Princeton. Uh, Monmouth, we mentioned they're home against Ryder on Friday. St. Peter's, Iona, Fairfield, and Siena for them. So another opportunity there as the Mac kind of jostles for position. It's been happening all season, except for Iona, I guess, at the top. But uh, with the tournament within sight, these teams kind of fighting for, for their seating in the tournament. And we'll see what the matchups look like in just a few weeks. Two things I want to add. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say that this, uh, I mentioned to some readers the, the against Seton Hall's win over Xavier, uh, there was, you know, an incident involving the coach, the Xavier coach yelling an obscenity in his huddle uh, during a timeout when there was a breast cancer a moment of silence. And uh, I had said I would get into the details. I just want to say, you know, I, upon reflection, I think it's better that I just take the high road on this. 
Uh, there's a lot of a lot of people were very upset about about the way it unfolded. And I, I just want to tell I just want to tell my readers that one thing I promise you is that I will not change the way I cover games. I am going to bring you observations from the arena. I think that's very important for fans watching the game from home. And I'm going to continue to do that regardless of what any troll says to me on Twitter or anybody in any administration says to me. I'm going to continue to do that. Um, so I don't make no apologies for reporting what took place in that game. Secondly, uh, the, uh, the, the, the fan, Seton Hall fans have to come through for their team. Rutgers fans have been phenomenal. Now, we know Rutgers has a huge school with five times the, 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 the student body and alumni base and a smaller arena, and they've done a great job. Uh, Seton Hall fans had tremendous turnouts for their early season games against Rutgers, UConn, Villanova, Texas, and the students turning out almost 2,000, a third of the school's population. Incredible. But since the vaccine mandate has come in, that, that has dropped uh, some. And I don't know if that's because of, of the vaccine cards or if there's some other reason uh, Seton Hall isn't quite as red hot. But Seton Hall is going to need their students and their fans to turn out against DePaul, against Butler, against Georgetown, the last three home games where they can't afford a misstep. And I think the I think they're going to be a big part of this, and the onus is going to be on them to do that. And so I wanted to mention that. Uh, I think that's a real important thing to look for as we move into the home stretch of what's been a really interesting college basketball season. Absolutely. Good thing to look out for, Jerry. Great views there. And thanks again to you and Steve and Chris for all you contributed to Episode 8 of Jersey Jump Shot. Of course, read everything they're writing on NorthJersey.com and APP.com. Follow us on Twitter and, of course, follow the podcast on whatever platform you prefer. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 8 of Jersey Jump Shot. Things are getting interesting, and we cannot wait to talk about it on the next episode. So we will talk to you then. For Jerry, for Steve, for Chris, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.